you've got a Bible to the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one that's uh, in the chair there in front of you. You should find today's passage on page 810. We believe that life and truth and freedom are found in these words. Uh, And so we want to read them and study them and ask God to reveal himself to us through them. We've been studying the Gospel of Matthew now for several weeks. Matthew is the first of four Gospels. The Gospels are like biographies of Jesus. They tell us about his life and teaching. Uh, And the section of Matthew that we've been in for a little bit is called, traditionally called anyway, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And in this sermon, Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to be his disciple, uh, what it looks like to be his follower. And so we're going to dive back in Matthew chapter five. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. Let's give our attention to God's word. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Our good and gracious King, Thank you for teaching us what it means to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, as we hear these words, as I preach and seek to apply these words, Holy Spirit, would you would you make them effective? Would you cause everything that is of me to be forgotten and blown away? Lord, but whatever is of you, whatever is true, I pray that it would Uh, be buried in our heart like a seed, and then it would grow up and produce much fruit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Influencer. That's a uh, common part of our vocabulary now. Of course, the internet, social media have made it possible for just about anyone, even total strangers, uh, to influence us. And that's not really new. Uh, Marketing and advertising have been influencing us for centuries. Uh, The reason, for instance, that there are candy bars on the way to the cash register, those those have been influencing you since you were a child. Uh, And as that whatever whatever random Joe in a marketing department at Twix uh, was seeking to influence you while you were sitting in the cart, you then sought to influence your mom. To buy you that Twix, right? Uh, so what is new, though, is how much, this, uh, how much influencing happens on a second-by-second basis every time you pick up your phone. What's also new is who we influence. 
right? Used to, uh, the number of people that you could influence was limited to your social circle, who you worked with, your family, your friends. But now, if I want to let somebody know how I think or feel about something, I don't even have to think twice about it. All I have to do is type it and hit send or share a carefully crafted uh, photo or video uh, and you have a little slice of me. People I don't even know can hear from me. In fact, uh, it's kind of bizarre. Uh, people I don't even know are listening to me speak right now because we're streaming this on the Internet. So that begs the question, what kind of influence do you have? What kind of influence do I have? That's the question that Jesus tackles in these verses. And what he tells us, and the main idea, the big picture that we're going to look at this morning, is that those who are transformed by Jesus will influence the world around them for good. That's what Jesus says, that those who are transformed by him will influence the world for good. He doesn't really speak about it in optional ways. He speaks about it almost as a matter of certainty. Now, I want to remind you, again, that Jesus is teaching people who want to follow him. Uh, he is teaching disciples. That word means it's kind of like a mix of uh, follower and a learner. All right, somebody, uh, here's the definition I like. It comes from Dallas Willard. A disciple is someone who, by grace and by choice, is learning how to live from Jesus. That's who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to every person on the planet. He's talking to those who want to follow him. So what kind of influence does a disciple have on the world around him or her? We're going to look at four things this morning. I want to talk about the effect of Christian influence, the distinctiveness of Christian influence, the goal of Christian influence, and then the source of Christian influence. And don't worry, just because it's four points, I shortened them a little bit. We won't, you know, that doesn't mean that the sermon's longer. Maybe. All right, let's talk about the effect of Christian influence. Uh, Jesus uses two metaphors here to describe how his people influence the world around them. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Let's talk about what each one of those things does, what Jesus may mean in using those word pictures. What does salt do? Well, we know it uh, as something that adds flavor, right? It makes food taste good. Uh, it's a little bit hard to see how Jesus might be applying this, though I think there is an application, and we're actually going to talk more about this later in a future point. But another use of salt, particularly in the ancient world, was to preserve food from spoiling, right? So once you killed an animal, and you harvested the meat, you didn't have a refrigerator to put it in. You had to rub salt into it, and you'd hang it up so that it was preserved, so that you could come back to it. In fact, one of my, uh, my favorite things to eat at my grandmother's house growing up was called country ham. I wasn't a big, well, I mean, I'll eat honey-baked ham. I'll eat ham, however you serve it to me. But country ham was salted ham. And I like salt. I was a little chubby kid. I like salt and I like ham. So those two things made me happy. 
Salt prevents decay. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that one effect of Christian influence on the world is that it's a restraining influence. When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he means that the presence of his disciples in the world keeps decay at bay. It keeps things from getting as bad as they could be. When a salty person, and I realize we mean something else by salty. I'm trying to redefine what salty means, okay? Salty does not mean that you're a curmudgeon. Uh, a salty person, when a, when a salty person says to a friend, don't do that. I'm worried about you. This is going to bring ruin to you or to your family. That's, that's the influence of salt, right? That's the restraining. We could call it a negative influence, but it's a, it's a restraining Influence, right? It sees the, a, a bad trajectory and seeks to head it off. We could say uh, foster and adoptive care is a salty ministry because it seeks to restrain the effects of society and family decay on children. That's what it looks like to be salt. What about light? That one's a little bit easier. We know what light does. Light removes darkness. Light helps us to see. And so if if salt is kind of the negative restraining influence, right, it's made to, it doesn't completely stop decay, but meant to slow it down, light would offer the positive influence, right? So the influence of salt, we'll use this issue because it's a very pressing issue in our culture. It is the influence of salt that says abortion is wrong, and it needs to be stopped legally. It's the influence of light uh, that says to the woman with the unexpected pregnancy, here, let me help you. Uh, Light is what CareNet does when they give parenting classes to expectant mothers and fathers, right? So uh, if salt stops it from this direction, it's light that moves upstream and seeks to fix it from the other side. Now, those aren't hard and fast distinctions. I'm just trying to give you examples of what that sort of influence looks like. They go together. Uh, It's not that some people are salty and some people are light, but this is the manner of influence that Jesus says his disciples will have. And if you look at a little bit later on in the passage, Jesus equates salt and light to our good works. Right? Look at verse uh, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works. What does that tell us? It's that our faith is public. Jesus does not picture us withdrawing from society to live out our days in a monastery. He's not picturing us living out our days away from others in peace and quiet. He's saying that we will be engaged with others, that they, in fact, will see our good works. That's what it means to be salt and light. It means to be engaged. The Christian life is a public life. It is a life that seeks to influence others. That's the effect of the Christian influence. Let's talk about the distinctiveness of Christian influence. In order for salt and light to be effective... They actually have to be distinct from their environment. 
right? If salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. It's useless. Now, what Jesus is probably talking about uh, is salt, when it was harvested from the Dead Sea, uh, was impure. It was mixed with lots of other things. And so what could happen is the actual salt, the, the sodium chloride, could be leached out. Uh, and, and what you were left with was something that looked like salt, white powder, but it didn't have the effect of salt. It was useless. And even going further, the rabbis of Jesus' day, the Jewish teachers, would use salt as a metaphor for wisdom. Uh, Paul does this later on in one of his letters when he says, have salt in yourselves. Salt is a metaphor for wisdom. And so to lose your saltiness is to lose wisdom. In fact, the word here that Jesus uses when he says, uh, if the salt has lost its taste, that word... For losing taste is where we get our word moron from, right? It means to be a fool. And so Jesus is saying if you've lost your salt, if you've lost your wisdom, then you're a fool and you have nothing to offer the world. You are just another voice in the crowd of voices. There's nothing distinct. Similarly, he says if light is hidden, nobody... nobody turns a light on, lights a lamp, and then goes and puts it under a bowl. That defeats the purpose. If light is hidden, it does no good. A city down in a valley can't be seen at night, but one up on a hill can. Uh, and so if light is to give light, it must shine. And so also the Christian must be distinctive. Now, we talked about that impulse to withdraw, right, to, to see the world in its state and to back away and be like, okay, I'm just going to throw up my hands and give up and move away. There's another impulse we have, and it's the impulse of the chameleon to just blend in. And we even do this subconsciously. I do it subconsciously without even thinking about it, right? It's, it's like a natural defense mechanism because we all know what happens to the tallest blade of grass when the lawnmower comes along. And so we defend ourselves by not sticking out, by being chameleons, by going with the flow. We do it without even realizing it. Did you know, I found this out a few weeks ago and I find it fascinating, that people uh, who visit or live in New York for a certain period of time start walking faster? They don't even know. Like you take them out of New York and put them somewhere else and they're walking faster than everybody else. Why? Because in New York, they got knocked over or cussed out a few times and so they started picking up the pace, right? They, they adapted to the environment around them. And that's what we do. We adapt to the environment around us. But Jesus says we need to be distinct. This applies to how... Not just what we say and what we do, but how we feel and how we think. How much does the anger and fear and despair of our current cultural moment influence the way that you look at the world? Right? We, we live in a very cynical moment. Now, when it is easy to uh, divide into our corners and camps and just lob grenades, right? Right? 
And what happens is, even Christians, we end up thinking and feeling and speaking just like the rest of the world. We're just as guilty of canceling other people that we don't agree with as, quote-unquote, cancel culture. We're a part of it. We do it. But we need to be distinct. Christian influence is only effective when it is distinct. What What should be the goal? What is the end game of our influence on the world around us? Jesus tells us again in verse 16, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a pretty easy point to make. It's a far harder point to live out. Motives are tricky things. I'm always a person of mixed motives. Why we do what we do is often a mixed bag. But Jesus lets us know what the goal of our influence is. It is not to draw attention to ourselves. It is not to make a big deal about us. We do not do good things or say good things in order to be recognized or validated. The last time that you ate a well-seasoned steak... Did you say, man, that's some good salt? No. What did you say? That's a good steak, right? The salt should draw attention not to itself, but to the food on which it is put, right? Uh, And this is where I want to get back to this idea of taste. The goal of our good works is the glory of God, our Heavenly Father. That means that when people see us living distinctly, it should draw attention to him. David says in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, what's David doing there? He's inviting you not just to know the Lord or know something about the Lord. He's inviting you to experience his goodness. If you had to tell a person whose taste buds didn't work, which sounds really awful, if that person said, tell me what salt tastes like, yeah, what would you say, right? There, there comes a point at which you can't get underneath anything. You have to experience it for yourself, right? I could know lots of things about salt, if I were a chemist, right, I can tell you that salt is sodium chloride. If I were a chemist, I could actually write out its chemical formula. But would that tell me how salt tastes? No, I have to experience it. I have to taste it for myself. That's what David wants us to do with the Lord. He wants us to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Knowledge and experience have to be married to each other. It's not enough to know facts, though that is necessary. Knowing something is necessary, but that must be joined with tasting. That's what Jonathan Edwards says. It's like honey. Uh, I can tell you that honey is sweet, but then you actually have to taste it for yourself to know that. How does that apply to the Christian life? Well, let's say I offer you two baked potatoes. I'm talking about food very intentionally 
You've only got about 20 minutes. Let's say I offer you two baked potatoes. One is plain. There's, there's nothing on it. The other, I've taken salt and I've rubbed it into the skin. And both of them have been baked. Which one would you want? You'd want the salty one, right? You want the one that's got flavor. Friend, is your life savory? Do people around you say, she's got something I want? Do people look at your good works and say, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good? Because she has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's the goal of our Christian influence. And we've talked a lot about it. We've talked about the effectiveness, the distinctiveness, the goal. But most importantly, we need to talk about the source. How does our Christian influence come about exactly? I've worked with uh, high school students, middle school students for a long time, just a few weeks ago. Uh, I was at Clanton Middle School speaking to their Fellowship of Christian Students group. And um, I've heard this answer over and over again, but I was, I was talking uh, with these students, and I posed the question to them, what is the purpose of your life? Uh, and the answer that came back to me was, I'm supposed to be a good example. And that's not the first time I've heard that answer. Over and over again, I'm supposed to be a good example. I'm supposed to be a good leader, something like that. Parents, Congratulations. If you have aimed to teach your children that they should be a good influence on those around them, they have gotten the message. What my concern is, is do they even know what it means to be a good example? What I should have asked those middle, middle school students was, okay, tell me how you become a good example. Have we so focused, and this is what we do, right? We love doing, we love activity, and so we'll say, be a good example, But have we told them where to find the goodness? Have we pointed them to the source of goodness? And what we see here is that good influence flows out of Christ-like character. Don't forget the, the context. In the verses prior to this, we've been going through, they're called the Beatitudes. Jesus unfolded for us what Christ-like character looks like. And so it's no accident, right? We, we, we talked about how Jesus has to reshape and transform our values and attitudes. And so it's no accident that coming out of that, that when we are reshaped, then we will have influence. Character, being, precedes doing. That's what Jesus does here. He reshapes our values and our attitudes, and the result is that we have good influence. And going even further, right? How do I, again, become the sort of person who is shaped by Jesus? It's interesting that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Because that's what Jesus says about himself. In John 8, John eight twelve, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in order to be light... You must first know the one who is the light. 
The light that Jesus tells us to shine here is derived from him. It is not our light. It's not the light of our inner goodness. It is the light of Jesus. And so we first have to know him. We have to have tasted and seen that the Lord is good ourselves. Because when you and I have been made new in that way, we will not be able to help shining. The more that I come to know Jesus and taste and see that he is good, then I will be salt and light. When you find a good restaurant, a great restaurant, not just a good one, a great restaurant. When you find a great restaurant, what do you do? You go back again and again and again. And what else do you do? You tell other people and you take other people with you. Right. And you don't do it because like. Well, we have to eat. Let's go over here and eat. Right? You say, no, the food is really good. And I want you to enjoy it the way that I enjoy it. That's the source of Christian influence. When you and I taste and see that God is good, we can't help but influence the world around us. Since 2020, and really even before that, deaths of despair have been Increasing steadily. Suicide, drug overdoses, going up. Not not little bit by little bit, but skyrocketing. Right? Our culture is needy. There is great need and hurt and sadness and fear in the world around us. If you know Jesus, right, what, what they need... To know what they need is a view of the goodness of God that defeats cynicism. They need a view of the power of God that defeats fear. Christian, if you know that, if you are changed by that, then you will work that change in the world around you. So let's not withdraw, let's not be afraid. Let's not be cynical, and let's not say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It is not. God has intervened in the world to rescue it. And he has, he has rescued us out of the world and is transforming us to carry that same message to the world. Do you have a view of God like that? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? If you haven't, I pray that you would come to him this morning, that you would put your trust in him and be forever changed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you have not left us to our own devices but you have, you have rescued us and given us your light so that we can then reflect it to others. Lord, I pray that we would know that. I pray that we would trust you, that we would believe in you, and that just like honey is sweet and salt is salty, Lord, that we would experience that goodness, 
that we would experience your goodness so that we could not help but bring others to share in that goodness with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we...